0: Ba-ba, ba-ra-ba Ba-ba, ba-ra-ba Ba-ba, ba-ra-ba The Chippa this, the Chippa this They shoot the shit They shoot, they shoot the shit Shoot, 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 shoot shit, shit, shit Shooting the shit with Chippa Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another fun-filled episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa. As always, I am your host, Chris Chipman, a.k.a. The Chippa, and before I get to my very special returning guest, who has something awesome coming out very soon that they want to share with everybody, um, I'd like to thank my $15 or more a month patrons, because you are what keep me going. Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin CV, Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, Mark Price collaborating online, Alex Shaw, Seth Comfort, Seth Decker, Andrew Krause, Little Nikki, Robert V. Aldrich, Aaron Moriarty, Carolyn Thompson, Scott Arcury and Shore Hansen Gusted. Thank you all so much. And today's episode is brought to you, as a lot of episodes in early 2021 have been, by the COVID-19 vaccine. I need it so I can you know, have conversations like this in person with people again, which would be (laughs) wonderful. Um, and with that, um, I'd like to re-welcome to the show Marissa Alexa McCool. Marissa, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me again. It's a it was a blast the last time. I'm looking forward to picking up where we left off.
0: Yeah, can you believe that was two months ago?
1: Yeah, it feels like a decade, doesn't it? 2020 was the longest decade of my life. (laughs)
0: Oh my god, I feel like we all aged, I mean maybe not physically, but I think um experience-wise, I think we all aged 10 years. Um like you said, damn. Like it, it feels like an entire lifetime of history occurred in 2020.
1: Because it did. I mean really yeah. everything slowed down for, you know, how long and then at the same time so much was happening that if you recorded something about a current event a day later, it was outdated because 30 other things had happened. So it was just, it was a weird combination
0: of circumstances. It, it really was. And, and like, likely. So we are recording this episode a day before inauguration day. Yay. <laughs> um, and it's funny. I recorded a show with my friend Mason on election day, just to get our brains away from, you know, however that was going to go at the time. And so talking about how, when you say something and it's immediately outdated. I'm going to release that episode tomorrow on Inauguration, Jay says, to give a <laughs> this is going to be way more palatable now that we know how it played out, rather than him <laughs> and I talking, well, it sure would be great if when I wake up tomorrow, I know that I have a good president coming. <laughs> uh, yeah, would
1: not that have been great? You know, when elections were like over, when the person who got the most votes won, wasn't that oh, something? Oh,
0: <laughs> god damn. But yeah, um, those of you who have listened to my my last episode with Marie. Marissa, you know, you, you guys all know, I, I do these shows off the cuff. Um, I try to, you know, get to know somebody live when we do them the first time. And Marissa was, Mm -hmm. um, it honored me with sharing a lot of her more personal story with me. And, you know, a lot of that involved um, transitioning um, into a transgendered woman who you, you know, officially are and have always been on right around the time of Donald Trump being elected president. So yeah, it's good to be able to say goodbye to all that bullshit, huh?
1: Yeah, there's some people, even in the circles that I run, who are saying, God, the the new president just seems so boring. And I'm like, and? Like, I've just spent the last four years on high alert, wondering what I'm going to wake up to has happened to my community today. I'd like some boring for a little while,
0: please. I I like a president who I I know in the background is, you know, trying to get me a vaccine and trying to hopefully make the world a better place, but also recognizes that we all need enough boring where one of the biggest things that they're concerned with is making sure there's an inauguration for their shelter dog. And I went, I'd rather worry about that. Thank you. Like, (laughs) thank you. Yeah. That's, If that's the most interesting topic on the news tomorrow, I will be thankful.
1: Yeah, because there's an old curse. Uh, May you live in interesting times. And yeah, uh, I'd like a break.
0: (laughs) So um, Marissa has... And, and I can't wait to find out how long you've been working on this, but I've only known about it recently. Marissa has written a play and recorded that play and edited it and is going to be releasing it for all of your ear holes. And I, oh man, I just, you, it's the kind of thing that when you listen to it, you can just picture it being performed. Um, all, you and all of your voice actors, just, there's a, there's an animation to the, to the performance of a lot of these, but um, it's called dinner with the binaries and it is wonderful and I can't wait to talk to you about it. So um, yeah, thank you again for sharing it with me. Cause it's, I'm imagining uh, knowing who you are and what you've gone through that a lot of this story is personal.
1: Some of it is Um, some of it. I definitely put some autobiographical material in there. Some has been picked up from other people sharing their stories. And just because, obviously, I haven't experienced everything that people have, even from the trans experience. So it, it's, it's not a one for one by any means, but it is very personal. And uh, there's, like most of my fictional creative work, there's a lot of meta to it as well. Not quite as... Much as last year's play, which was called Have a Very Meta Christmas, where the whole joke <laughs> was based on being meta and making actual world references to the actors, for instance. But there's a certain level of it involved here. Like the fact that the main star, uh, Giovanni Espiritu, was in a show called Dyke Central. And in Act One, the, the, the people in the cabin where the main character lives happened to be making references to living by the code of that show. So it's never acknowledged, but if you know, you know,
0: and and I found that great. And as soon as I had seen, heard that mentioned, I actually shut the show, shut the, uh, um, uh, the play off and went and looked up that show because I'm like, there's definitely some winking going on here to people that, that know. And I want it. And I'm like, Oh, okay, no, this makes complete sense. And, uh, and, and I love something like that, that, you know, generates that need to want to know more in a listener, because, you know, I, I'm, you know, none of us experience everything and I have, um, a limited experience only from people who are willing to share, but I want to know, and I want to be compassionate and empathetic. And so to have a story like this, to listen to, I mean, this is heart, this there's some heartbreaking stuff in here. And, um what I love is that it exists in a world where it feels very real and that there's heartbreak, but it also, I think this story parallels so many real stories that happen with people where most of us, and I I use that most in the, the way society looks at it, go through high school and growing up and adolescence and all of these other things, you know, with this understanding later on that, yeah, okay most of the bumps and bruises and nasty things that happened to me during that that's all it was it's just children being children and kids being kids and yada 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 and we all got to go through it cuz you got to toughen up and suck it up buddy you know and reality is the most minuscule dumb childish thing can ruin somebody do you know right. what i mean if if they're if they're dealing with an issue that you don't understand and um it's a very fragile time and I don't think there's a person I know that that at least is a good person. You know, there's a, there's, we found there's a large portion of the world that isn't good, but a good, even if they're an uneducated or an ignorant to these issues, person couldn't listen to this play without having some sort of connection to it. The, you know, having one teacher in high school that really got you and really like went out of their way to make, you know, your life more comfortable or everyone had bullies. It doesn't matter how, much of a jock or how smart or how you, there's always somebody that gets under your skin and the world always tells you like the characters in this wanted to tell um, Heidi, well, why didn't you just get over that? That was forever ago. And I witnessed this in um, going to high school uh, reunions with my wife of all the mean girls in her class, you know, a few drinks in getting in line and basically apologizing to all the girls they bullied. Mm-hmm. And I thought I had, you know, my guard up because I'm like, OK, there's going to be because movies tell me that there's going to be some kind of prank here, you know, where they're all just. But, you know, what? in reality, they were genuine, like th- there was genuine change and things that happened to them in their lives where they realized how hard they were. And I I don't think people recognize like how, you know, your your character here, Heidi, the every event of her life from the moment she left high school till the moment we come to here was painted by how this small group of people treated her. Right. And and that's amazing to me. So um, it's amazing to me how across the board that story really is and how the world tries to treat, treat gay, trans, anything that doesn't fall into the norm of what we accepted as being, you know, weird and strange, but we accept it. And these things are things that people are still so fucking afraid of that it has to be. But oh no, that I, I that I can't accept. And it's like I I like that this is written and put out there in such a way that no, these are humans. Yeah, these are humans going through this. And if you can be empathetic to that, which that's to say, a lot of us have issues with empathy too. I get that too. But if you can find that little piece of where you connect. You don't have to get what it feels like to know, to think that you're in the wrong body your whole life, you know, or to think that you're being gendered wrong or you're being um, you can just go, I know what it's like to be hurt and to be, um, you know, uh, demoralized and to be cast out and to be looked at as different. And that to me resonates on a, on a human level. And I, and this thing had me laughing and in tears and it was just wonderful. So I didn't mean to gush so much there at the very beginning, but what I'm, what made you want to write this?
1: So I've, I've sort of had this idea floating around in my head for a couple of years in different forms, but the biggest thing that started it was sort of seeing an inverse of the bird cage or the guess who's coming to dinner formula where there's these quote unquote weird people And they're always the one being brought home to the quote-unquote normal people. And the adjustment (laughs) is always about them and how they learn to see the other as human. Uh, For instance, The Birdcage, which is probably the most ubiquitous gay comedy uh, outside of maybe like Rocky Horror Picture Show or something like that. But the thing that always bothered me was that the idea of Gene Hackman's character, the homophobe, doesn't learn to see gay people as human until they're useful to him. And that's the point of the story. It's like, oh, these gay people, now that they've helped me personally out, are useful and not the evil stereotypes that I thought of. And that's part of the problem, is that we're not useful until we can do something for you, and we're not uh, represented or thought of until we're somehow an accessory, and that's how most stories that involve us are told. And I just don't think that's productive. You just see it in the in the stereotype of the 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 gay best friend, for instance. Where like you know, there's this world of entirely straight cis people, and then there's that one gay person, and just their the enti- one their entire existence is about that straight person's relationship. <laughs> And most of the gay people I know really don't give a shit about you know uh the people's relationship problems any more than others do. I mean, there's the certain people you go to, there's the certain people you confide in, but we got shit to do too, you know.
0: So I, yeah, I really that, that wanted painting, to painting the painting the gay especially the gay man, the painting the gay man of well, you're basically a woman, so why mm-hmm. don't you help me understand my girlfriend is like Oh, I get how somebody thinks this is humble, but oh, that that is disregarding the entire makeup of how that person feels and what's actually going on with with what they love and why they love and how they carry themselves. You're you're leaving out so many parts of the discussion.
1: Sure. And, and their femininity is always the joke. And the joke. that's part of the problem, too, is even if we're we're representing that certain class of people, we're still making their femininity, their gayness, the joke. And it doesn't come off well to people who want to see represented themselves in a non-parody fashion. Because even after the 90s, which included such classics like The Crying Game and Ace Ventura and all these other harmful representations of trans people, even when we did get represented, our entire existence is a tragedy And the only reason we exist is because we're in love with a man and our entire life is defined by that. And that's just not helpful. It comes across too much as them putting themselves in our position as how they would handle it when it's not them. It's not who they are. And I'm tired of being told my story through people who haven't experienced it. And I'm tired of gayness, queerness, transness, polyamory being represented as the joke. So that's, that's really where it started is I wanted to inverse those couple tropes and flip it and make the other people uncomfortable, for instance, and maybe they have to fit into a situation. Maybe they have to adjust to people who don't live like they do. Maybe they have to step into a room where all the things they think of as normal or how everybody does it is not so, but they're not in a position where it's their own house. And it's like, no, you got to play by our rules here. You want to eat? You're not going to go off and just you know look down on us. You want to eat here? You're going to follow our rules.
0: Yeah, we're going to bring you to our level like you make us do with you. And mm-hmm. you know, and you're and you're going to look at us on an even playing field. And I I love that because that's literally even though it often goes unspoken, whereas in this I love the the agency the characters are given to speak it, to say, "No, this is what's going on because you're you're also taking the viewer, the listener with you and saying, "Hey, no matter what everybody listening to this, it, it doesn't even matter if you are um, trans or queer, you know, gay, and any of these things, there's going to be some preconceived notion or some bias that you come into listening to this with. So because your normal media, your normal entertainment is not set up any different than the way that all of it is, we're going to make sure this lets you know, come on this journey, we're bringing you all to this level. And it's so much better because there's words in this even that fall into the things that I always hate that branches out. It even comes into the autism community and and mental disability that everybody goes and says, there has to be something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. It can't just be that this is how you are. Even if something happened to you to get you there, but leave that out. Nothing happened to you. You weren't born and then 12 years old, you know, somebody hit you or abused you and that made you trans. Do you know what I mean? This is not how this happens. And like, like, every time there's a villain or a character, it's like you said, it's always a tragedy. It's always, Oh yeah. Their dad must've been a jerk. And that's why they're this way or, Oh, their mom wasn't there for them. So that's why they were more boyish. And it's like, no, 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 Like literally this is how somebody is. This is them. And they're learning what them is. Mm -hmm. And you have to, you have to support that. There's no, there's no uh, teaching and you don't go to school and become oh, well, I took this class on being trans, so now I'm trans. That's not how it works. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, if that were the case, like you said in our last recording, you would have just gone, well, since I'm about to have a president who wants to kill me, uh, maybe I'll just decide on doing this fad four years from now. That's right. not how it works. <laughs> right.
1: And you know, th- there's, there's another aspect to the inspiration for this play in addition to that. And that was about a year ago. Remember when we went to theaters and like there were people that was, that was weird. Wasn't it? It was but, so
0: weird. I, I just, I don't know why anyone would want to do that.
1: Right. So <laughs> I, I am a, a Shakespearean trained actor and I, ass. yeah, I trained in Philly and then I did this genius thing where I was like, I should move halfway across the country where I know nobody and I'll just get acting roles there. And Fortunately, someone hooked me up with this director slash writer for a Fringe Festival play. I don't know if you've ever been to a Fringe Festival, but it's like I have the... been to
0: Fringe Festivals online because okay. of, I've only I've only found out what they are this year.
1: Right. <laughs> so I was in a real in person one,
0: and awesome. the
1: idea this this uh, director slash writer had was the Breakfast Club twenty five years later, and the wrestler <laughs> transitioned. So I kept a little bit of that idea. But the whole basis of the play was written by Assist Dude. And he he was great. It was an awesome play. I had such a good time playing it. But the focus was on all five. And that's fine for what it was. But I wanted to explore more of Heidi and Allison. So that's where those two names come from, was the idea that uh, the wrestler and the basket case kind of hooked up and had a thing and they're reuniting. And then um, Claire and Bender like had a kid, but uh, uh, Claire also ran away from the family duties and Bender ended up raising the kid. And uh, Brian went into business and was just as oblivious and annoying as always. And I liked that concept. So I went to the guy who wrote it and I pitched a scene. And I said, hey, I have this idea. I kind of want to take a little bit of what you did, but take just the two characters out of it and make them the main characters. I want to do more with that story than was possible for the concept that you were trying to do. And then I had this final semester of grad school where I had already finished my nonfiction degree. I had to do one semester Just to get enough credits, Uh, for various reasons, I was one class short, and I decided to take a playwriting class with this wonderful playwright named Alice Eve Cohen, and I came to her with this, where I was like, I have these two ideas, one's like, like I described, the inverse of the guess who's coming to dinner scenario, and the other is this love story, and she goes, well, write me up a scene from each, and we'll see which one you should go with, and I wrote her Uh, what was essentially the beginning of the second half of the play, which is Mm -hmm. the scene between Heidi and Allison, where they confess their feelings for each other and how they got to that point where it's the two of them by themselves. And she said, "Write this one. So I did.
0: (laughs) Awesome. So many revelations there. It's now clicking. I can see it. 100% that the breakfast club was the inspiration for this. I can't believe that didn't jump out at me it's probably because um of of the 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 twisting it to to invert it um, that it will, but you're absolutely right that's awesome that's such a cool idea i also love um with the oblivious character being the way that you had him written and performed it when he first shows him like this is the person who's going to be the problem you know what i mean like because you're learning okay you know the the, the mayor you know, is, is okay. There's some ulterior motives there, but her and her ex-husband start getting downright devious seeming. And that character starts getting a little more soft. The And when, when he shows up to dinner, he's like, yeah, you know, we had our preconceived notions about this, but this is kind of cool. Let's all just sit down and eat. Like these are our friends. And I'm like, wow, I didn't expect that out of him. The The other thing th- that I really love with the way that you staged this is that there wasn't going to be time at dinner for all of this prior stuff to be hashed out. So I I really like and I don't mean I don't like funerals, but that that setting is a perfect place to naturally bring them together and hash out some of these, you know, the nastiness between, you can tell that these people all were, and I don't want to use the word friends because some of them were outright awful to each other, but they had to spend a lot of time together. So there's there's a relationship here between all these characters, and this teacher was the central winchpin for all that. But I like how a lot of stories would utilize the dinner part as a third act to make jokes. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if this were the... um The cis version of this movie, that's when it would show up and things would get wacky, you know, where they go, Oh, there's going to be, you know, two people screwing in this room and they're going to see it and someone's vibrator is going to be out, you know, or there's going to be this and they're going to have like, Ew, gross, ha ha ha, ha." you know, and and instead it really becomes 100% human where they get together, they talk, people lay out lines in the sand. This is my home, you'll respect it. And the tension diminishes. And it becomes a very nice, very real, very um, cathartic ending to the story, which I honestly didn't expect. I remember texting you when I got there and I'm like, these two motherfuckers better get cut up, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And you were like, it's funny that you say that because my advisor, or, or I think you had said, said the same thing about how. They need to really be more devious. And you said, no, because because I had brought up that idea of this needs to be real. In reality, nothing is just black and white. And in reality, sometimes if you show somebody what they've messed up, they really can come back from it. They'll never be perfect. You can't, you know, take away the fact that Matt ruined Heidi's life. You right. know what I mean in high school? But that doesn't have to be the end of their story.
1: Right. It was important for me to make all the characters not only human, but flawed and redeemable. And part of that is if I just made the Shakespearean comedy version of this, which is what respectfully what my professor wanted me to do was, you know, we have these pure villains who are devious and twirling their mustaches. And the comedy comes from them showing up uninvited and unannounced. And I'm like, that's not the story I'm trying to tell. I don't want these characters to be caricatures because then it's that easy to dismiss them. And it's also, I want people to be able to project them into, project themselves into those characters because so many people who probably are on the right side of things or at least want to be, have been there. And if I make them the joke, if I make them unrelatable, if I make them a one-note cartoon that's not going to happen, and that's not the story I was trying to tell. Because you you set up Sam as the oblivious business nerd who doesn't seem to know what's going on, but turns out he's autistic and just kind of doesn't understand the way some people work, but he's more aware than you think he is. And that's way better to me than someone who just remains oblivious and unredeemable and is just clueless by proxy. And same with Don and Uh, matt because i could make them very easily twirling their mustaches and just being evil but that's not interesting that's not something that people can relate to trans or cis on either side of that equation these are the people who tell me that they respect who i am but misgender me behind my back like that's much more real that's more something that still exists and I do believe they're redeemable. There's, of course, the people who are cartoon villains, but I'm not talking about them. I'm not writing for them. I want people to be able to project themselves even into the antagonists, but I also want to show them that I think they're redeemable, and that's important.
0: Absolutely, and that, that's what I found so wonderful about those characters when you make their way through is how many people, I'd say 75%, of the people who think that they're on the right side of helping and are allies in this situation, have something in their life circumstantially that requires them to tone down that allyship because of something in their life, whether you, you, know, you have a politician, what politician out there doesn't have to struggle with the, what can I do that isn't going to stop the religious right from voting for me? Right there. There is unfortunately, because we're not it's not illegal to start casting people out of being able to vote we still have to cater to people like that so that's a, gen, a genuine concern of this lady and that's now painted her entire political well-being of you know what fine i'll let my own stereotypes also that i have which her and matt obviously have their own cuz they they cackle about oh so as soon as i get there i can say whatever terrible slurs i want to say mm-hmm. and Um, So they're, you know, they're definitely not good people, but they're not ruined, broken, evil people. They're real. They're circumstantially flawed by the systems they have to work within and how they were brought up and what was okay at the time. And people just haven't called them on their shit. Yeah. You know,
1: one of the things they keep saying is it was a long time ago. And it's like, yeah, it was, but that's not a get out of jail free card. That doesn't mean you just get to wipe the slate clean because it's making you uncomfortable now. Like your actions had consequences and you're not in a position where you can run away from that now.
0: Right. And I love the idea of this teacher that meant so much to all of them had his own closeted, you know, homosexuality that he was hiding And that's part of why he was able to be so helpful to all these people. But Matt now has to look back at knowing that in like shit, everything that I said and made fun of, he was hearing it too. And yet he still wanted to help me, Mm -hmm. which means that teacher knew that you weren't irredeemable. And, and I think that's really important. That's very real because I think too much of, um, well, like if this had been a story inverted the other way, of the, you know, the, the, I'm going to bring the trans girl to dinner and it's going to be a laugh and everybody's going to make jokes about it and everything where that story ends up going is they need to soften to get better. And the other side usually does nothing. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: what you've done here is said, you know, there's some preconceived notions in both directions. It takes characters to go, Hey, don't your bylaws say something about, no matter what transgressions have surpassed, we are, we turn the other cheek and take, take the higher ground and feed these people if they're in need. Oh yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. And so even they who are, our protagonists are shown as having, maybe you're too far in the other direction and your walls are too far up. And that's not to say that there isn't a clear who's right and who's wrong in this story, but it's inverted in the other direction to say, Hey, Hey, why does it always have to be you saying that I need to tone down a bit? Why can't it be that, yeah, we're going to both have to do some work, but that's what it is. We're both working together to be better, not that you get to stay completely how you are and I have to change.
1: Right. It would be disingenuous to suggest that trans people are flawless. And that's the other side of the, the gay best friend character is they're, they're always perfect they're always just they always say the right thing they always and once again they always exist purely reflective of the other character but if if it's all finger pointing if it's all you ruined my life and you're bad and all of that like it's cathartic possibly but it's not real and uh, uh, every single character in this story is flawed every single one of them including the trans characters And that was important to me, too. Heidi did kind of a shitty thing to Allison. And she gets called on it. Like, she gets called out like, you know, I was there for you for two years. You didn't think you could come to me with this? Whatever gave you the idea that you wouldn't be able to? And she can't run away from that like she has everything else. So, like, putting, putting the trans character in that position without their transness being the joke or being the entire part of the story... Was also important to me because we get pigeonholed into that. And while there were aspects of transitioning and being trans that were, uh, you know, crucial to the part of the plot, I didn't want that to be the whole story because that's the only story we ever get. So, right, it, it's like, yeah, these people are flawed too. They did stuff that was wrong. They fucked up. Yeah, we're going to address that, and we're not just going to finger point and say oh, you people who bullied me were bad and you never did anything redeemable because Matt did something redeemable. He raised a kid on his own (laughs) like that. That's how not only did
0: not only did he raise a kid on his own, but he raised a kid who is now comfortably living as that kid wanted to live. And that means that even if Matt still had his bullshit about him, he wasn't necessarily doing it to his kid. The Mm -hmm. kid felt comfortable enough that they were now Tom. You know what I mean? At least when they left, you know, but that means that whatever he did, didn't uh, beat them into submission, that they were just his daughter, you know? And I I think that's a really important part of the story that these parents seemed like they were vile to Heidi and were probably still not understanding of any of this, obviously, but they raised a daughter that, you know, made it through and is now her true self as, as Tom, you know, as their son, or as they said, neither, cause they're, they, um, right. non-binary as it were. But, um, and that's, that's the other thing I loved about this was the, you, you did world building. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, cis stories don't need to do world building, right? You just mm-hmm. write this story and you go, Oh yeah, that's a guy and a girl. They're in a relationship and there's the gay best friend, you know, there's no, they don't need any weight to the characters other than that you just accept it. This goes, yeah, all of those things except inverted. So now this is you know a, a a house with non-binary people and trans people, and we're going to talk about things that are important in that world, but we're going to talk about them as if you already know. Mm-hmm. And and so now this story is able to do some of that heavy lifting that, as you say, if my whole life is just being. Tagged in by a cis friend to help them handle an argument or explain how the, this part of the world that their ugly family member, that's just nasty, doesn't understand. Now you have a piece of art, a piece of writing, a piece of performance out there that can take that torch and run with it of this is a healthy version of how people can get better and talk out their differences. I loved the, they're gone now. You can say, it. you can say it (laughs) great name. Did your mommy give it to you? And I went, Oh, that's awesome. Cause it's, it's so petty and silly. And I love it because it's like, it shows that the characters really, yeah, I want to get my little dig out too. Come on, let me, (laughs) you know? Right. Um, And And another important part
1: of that is I have to communicate to people who either don't know any trans or gay people or have never spent any significant time with them. It's like, you don't think we talk shit on you too when you're gone? Oh
0: God. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's this idea that our entire existence is based on placating them. Thanks to some of the aforementioned stories I told them about. It's like, no, we make fun of shit too. Like I guarantee any, any trans joke you've ever heard. We've not only heard it, but have a better one.
0: (laughs) We have a, we have a better far dirtier and one that cuts deeper. So lay it on me. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. So, I had these contrasting worlds. I had the world of Heidi where she grew up in a place that was horrible and repressive, but she had someone who loved her. And now she lives in this place that lives off the grid, lives against the gender binary, lives against the idea of monogamy or anything like that. But they've been there for so long that they don't remember how the world works anymore. So their whole world is this one place where... They make up their own rules, their own rituals, and their own code. And then they're forced to confront the idea that they have to live by that, even when other people that they may not agree with are there. So there's that part of it, too. And I wrote this play for the stage, but also with the fact in mind that I was going to record it for an audio play. So if you read the stage directions, there's so much more into, into these rituals where, like, all of the moments that they call out, they have like stomps and claps and hand motions and everything. And I can't wait to try to get that performed on stage sometime. But you know, my professor also kind of fell for exactly what I was going for because she was like, oh, I love this scene so much. They're so awesome with the code and you really need to go all there with that. And I'm like, oh, don't worry. I will. <laughs> like It was just kind of, you're doing exactly what I wanted you to do.
0: <laughs> That's awesome because mm-hmm. cause it's really true and and I love the you know um what was it it, it was Allison was it Allison when she refers to her, her real name
1: yeah
0: there's a character yeah. uh, or no the many names she goes by because she's a moon goddess and a space um uh, was it? a space uh a space hey, witch goodness. or a space princess and I, I love how that character is never like I as a person listening to it. You know, do a little eye roll thing because everybody knows that girl or that guy. You know, the the really out there. Like, I honestly do not care what anybody thinks. I'm just me, and it's my weird, and you have to accept it or deny it. And I love how even that was a thing with Allison and Heidi. When she, you're you're actually interested, like you're not just kind of placating me and making fun of me. There was even like Heidi even looked down on Allison for that. You mm-hmm. know oddness quote unquote, as it were. And so everybody has their prejudices and stuff, but that name, it just the, it reminded me of the knights who say me thing, we, <laughs> you know, or in Maduba, just like, and I, I just need to see that performed live. I need to see the look on the actress's face performing <laughs> that bit. And this was, um, you know, you, you were very excited, um, that she said, yes. Yeah, so how, how did, uh, how did casting this go? Like, was it all, did you have kind of people in mind or
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every single person that I cast in this took that, that I cast was my first choice for the part. So, like, I had, um, I didn't write the play that way, but once I had the play, I knew exactly who I wanted. And the three people who live in the house are my two co hosts on my trans podcast and my partner, Murphy. So that was built right in. We could record all that at the same time. And then uh, the person who plays Dawn is, Uh, the person who co-hosts the Fargo podcast with me because it's Midwest and she's lived in rural Minnesota most of her life and she's got that Daria vibe to her she's you know a bookworm who wears glasses and doesn't hang out with people very much and I'm like your voice will be perfect for this show it'll be it's exactly what I want and when she heard recording she always thought oh God, I sound so wooden compared to some of these people. I'm like, that's the point. I want exactly what I want.
0: She sounds like someone who, who the, the performance has a, I'm the person in my town that, like I've built myself up to be better than this and escape from it. So it has that, like I'm putting on a show all the time. This is how the world wants me to sound. Yeah. I'm, I have a Midwestern sounding voice, but I'm also trying to sound political. And it, it's, it was, it's perfect. Everybody knows that person, you know what I mean? And, and it doesn't, and, and I like, you know, the fact that it's not a caricature means that you can go, there's some good to that person, right? She's obviously done well for herself. It's just part of that was you know neglecting and downright being you know evil um for her benefit to an entire community and yeah. that's not good you know right. but it's also circumstantial it's a well i did what i needed to do to, to to get by and everybody makes decisions like that whether they're minor or whether you know they outright demonize an entire group of people
1: right and uh, the guy who played matt uh, it's, he does a lot of podcast voice acting on podcasts way more popular than mine, but he saw me speak at a convention in St. Louis a couple of years ago, and we just kind of became friends, and then he helped me write the play last year, uh, and he's, he's a very talented voice actor, like, he does impressions even better, even more than me, and I... I, I had that character in mind because it's like no you're you're always playing the gregarious outgoing happy character i'm gonna make you play an asshole like that that was kind of fun for me it's fun for me to make people play against their type and then tony who played sam uh (laughs) weird way that i stay connected to him Uh, i met him once in wisconsin 10 years ago and then until i think last year never saw him in person again but we always stayed connected And then I learned he was an actor. So I've cast him in the last three audio plays that I've written. And I came to him and I said, There's nobody in the world I would want to play this part more than you because it's an energetic nerd who's kind of oblivious but full of energy. And that's Tony. Like he's awesome and I adore him. And he's so nerdy. And I knew he would nail this part and he did. But of course, yeah. And the biggest. Uh, get so to speak was Giovanni who I adore she is a wonderful human being and you know just to connect it to our last conversation she was on an episode of Gilmore Girls and she also was on a show that I really connected to called Dyke Central because once again we had a mostly non-white non-cis non-straight show and nobody apologizes for it nobody Uh, treats it as anything other than the norm and that obviously was an inspiration but giovanni stands out on that show so much because she's just so good and she plays that mask of center character who just owns every scene that she's in and i during the pandemic and when when everybody was locked down i was like i'm gonna write her a note because i just think she's kind of awesome and having this kind of representation means a lot to me she not only responded But she put my letter on TikTok and like, really, oh yeah, you know, she did, she did all that for me. And then I was like, well, she responded, hey, you want to come on my podcast? And she did. And then after we stopped recording, I had told her about this play I was working on. And, you know, just kind of like, yeah, it'd be so awesome if you wanted to be involved. And she's like, are you kidding? Of course I want to be involved. I'm like, oh, shit, this could not have worked out any better. And I knew exactly who I wanted to cast her as, and I wrote that part. That's the one part I wrote, knowing that I wanted her to play it, and she just killed it. Like she could not have done any better if I, in person, was there directing her. And she's, she is a delightful human being. She and I recorded all of our scenes together. Oh, not together. I was going to say,
0: you, you had to, have, though. There, there's just there's a connection in the dialogue that I was like, if you're editing these separate from each other, you know what I mean? Like recording separate, holy crap. Like th- I do that work. That's very hard. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know? uh,
1: the, the first act was recorded together because they're people I record with all the time anyway. And I live with one of them. So that was easy. Uh, act two, and, except for me and uh, Allison. That was all separate. Like That was That's all insane. recorded individually. And then uh, me and, uh, me and um, Giovanni recorded our lines for Act 3, and I had already recorded with the other ones and managed to blend those together with the people who recorded Isolated. Amy, yeah. uh, Don, and Tony all recorded, just sent me in their lines. So it took a very long time and a lot of editing to get it to sound like that. But at the same time, there was that magical moment, especially in the, the, the more emotional scenes, where I'm there with Giovanni, and I'm reading lines that I wrote, and I'm actually still getting lost in the character, and in this moment with this relationship and this person, and that's never happened in a scenario like that. I've been on stage where that's happened, but it's like, holy shit, I'm feeling everything right now, and I happen to be doing it, with someone who 6 months ago i just knew as that awesome girl on tv <laughs> like it was just so cool
0: that's incredible and and that that shines through and and that's why i said at the beginning you know obviously you know n- knowing who you are and what you've gone through to get here you know the original thought is this has to be a personal story but those scenes come through like you've lived that scene and it's because you were living it when you were reading it right then mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that's that's really impressive and and giovanni I just want to be this person's best friend, right? Like they, they, and again, in 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 a way, just even in even with the flaws, as you wrote the character, because when when um, Allison shows up, Allison is already the one kind of it's it's like you said, the off center, the, uh, the right there, but she's obviously been wading through this group of people m- more so since high school. Right. Mm -hmm. Like Heidi runs away, but Allison stuck around and, you know, she knows how to like she calms them down and goes, no, 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 get together. No, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to do it this way. And she's she has some authority and she's in charge. You know what I mean? A little bit. And it's not like that charge of like I'm the leader because that Dawn kind of has that way about her. Allison is like the manipulator. You know, Mm -hmm. like the, yeah, you know, Heidi, maybe just condemning all of them outright for what they did isn't the right way. Like I've learned to live with them and wade through the differences. And I love that about her character because she has that bubbly flighty, you know, space shot you know, just out there thing too that I love characters like that. I could picture, you know, Anne Hathaway's white queen from that not so great Alice in Wonderland with like the hands up, just like walking around flighting through the room, and you're like, what is going on here? And say, <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm 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 one with the other plane. Okay, yeah, you you go off and do that. We're just gonna stay right here. But you know, that person sometimes the outside of the box person in the group is the one that truly gets everybody. Mm-hmm. And and I and that just came out complete with her character she's just such a joy to listen to
1: yeah she's definitely my favorite character and not just because i wrote her for giovanni <laughs> i mean just that's the character that like everybody used to make fun of you know everybody used yeah. to make the joke the manic pixie dream girl who does you know is eventually going to give up her identity for a man and become normal quote unquote but i i re- i've no i know people like this and they're they're a fucking delight they know exactly who they are and don't apologize for it and I, I I strive to be more like those people. And maybe not with the overtly spiritual uh, nope. ast- astrology kind of stuff, but the fact that they own themselves and they don't apologize for it, I think is admirable. And I always love spending time with them, even if I am the character of Heidi, who's like, uh-huh, Jackson Pollock fuck piece. Okay, sure.
0: <laughs> love <laughs> that line. And again, you know, I, you had very well placed levity in this and you say, you know, the, the, the cis version of this story would have, you know, people making trans jokes, even if they were trying to be progressive. I mean, I always, I always think back to, um, uh, chasing Amy. When you look, when you listen to Kevin Smith, talk back about chasing Amy now and going, you know, shit, I wrote this script. My brother is gay. You know, I had my brother help me write this script. And at the time, This was a progressive story, even though when you really look at it, the gay character is literally just there to do all those things you already said. And it also has some really terrible slurs, even though that character is supposed to be the bad guy. He's like, I would not write that story that way now. And that's an awesome thing to be able to say that Hollywood didn't just celebrate your story as progressive and you stopped there and said, yeah, mm-hmm. I did. I did my progressive thing. I know he's always wanted to be better, even though he still gets those jokes into his movies, but they've gotten better. And in uh Jane silent Bob reboot, he brought all those characters back together for a moment and finished that story and literally gave the agency and authority to Amy to basically shoot down Like the way they ended it, which is basically, yeah, nothing really changes. And this guy is still kind of an idiot schlub and that's, and and he's always just going to treat, you know, a a lesbian woman as a way that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll scare her straight. She'll be into me after all this. And it's like, no, that's not how the world works. Right. and, and I, I loved that little, that little moment of levity in your, you have good ones in here. And then that one at the very end where they get that final conversation and the, the Jackson Pollock fuck piece mm-hmm. thing just broke me. I like, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. I, I, and once again, like the, you know, and not only did I show that the trans people have flaws, but they also have to confront the reality that they can't live in an isolated space away yep. from everybody else any more than the. Cis people who want to outlaw them from bathrooms can. That's just not the way the world works. And there's, especially with uh, trans people who have been abused and who have been mistreated by society as a whole, there's this prevailing myth that we can all find a place off the grid and live in this commune. And I really wanted to take that idea and show that, like, yeah, you can do it. And yeah, there are some things that would be absolutely awesome about it, but it's going to catch up to you. You can't just not be a part of the world and also, you know, the few chances you get, expect that everybody's going to be like you either. And that was yeah. important to me as well. Like, the, you can be a separatist. You really can. You can limit the people that aren't like you you spent time around. But isn't that also what you're criticizing them for doing? Like, I don't Bingo. see that as fully productive.
0: Yeah, it's good to have a safe space to run away to, for sure. But um, but if that's the only place you ever go, you can't then turn your eyes back on the world and go, Hey, I've been here, even though I was not here, and mm-hmm. you need to cater to me now. Because that's that's literally what the religious right keeps trying to do. Exactly. We are the only ones that should ever be catered to. No, never. In fact, it literally says we're separating that so we don't have to always cater to you. <laughs> like exactly. That's the whole point
1: and the answer to that isn't doing what they do but with our people like that's just not how it works
0: yep and it all of that is on full display here and it's the story um the, the economy of of writing right you know i'm i'm no brilliant trained screenwriter but i can i can recognize when something is done well and the way that you unveil the characters, you know, even using the, I won't call it a trope because I, I think this is the first time I've really seen this used, but the the l- usual spin of realizing a character used to be a girl or used to be a guy is the crying game Ace Ventura. Oh, this is terrible. Oh my God. I kissed a guy, blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. And instead it's literally there so we can have that amazing reveal of you brought my parents and the whole (laughs) room just stops and i'm like you i'm like no shit like (laughs) that's just a perfect revelation because of course you know Mm -hmm. of course like if there's a commune for someone who was you know we've obviously been given enough backstory about jamie it was jamie right jamie was her Name, before was, was her, name was her was her dead yeah yeah but that, that's what they're referring to her the whole time yeah, the, the father and i'm like you know it's we've been given enough but it's such a wonderful part that is left up because of course if the dad knew this and the mom knew this this is something they would be offended by and want to try to hide you know no this isn't jane this isn't tom this is jamie this is what we're gonna do because this is our daughter and that reveal is so perfect and using that no, this is this is no one other than Tom. You're not going to have a dinner conversation where Tom is talking about their dead name because that that name doesn't exist. They've always been Tom, mm-hmm. and and I love that. But I also that, that reminds me of how wonderfully public and great it was, and how quick the world um, uh, on page, and I'm I, I don't remember either of of that person's names now, Elliot. Um, Elliot and Elliot Page and you how quickly IMDB and everywhere was updated to be like, Yeah, no, Juno you know that was Elliot Page? Yeah, it's that and, easy. And I'm like, Thank you, world, but it's it's the first time I've really seen the world just accept it so quickly. You mm-hmm. know, you had your jerks out there going, I'm never gonna refer to them anything as other than their old name. And it's like, yeah, you're a terrible person, but they were that when they were in that movie. Yeah, but they're not that now, and that means they never were that. Stop. Yeah, you know, and one of those
1: things I love to bring up every time this happens is,
0: yeah, uh,
1: cis people never change their names ever. Like, I'm just gonna go listen to Fifty Cent and watch Muhammad Ali fights, and I'm gonna, uh, you know, uh, listen to the podcast by Stone Cold Steve Austin and all of these things. And it's like, yeah, that never happens. But I never hear people. Accepting one bit and coming to America, go, no, his name was Cassius Clay, and that's what I'm going to call him. And that was the joke. So it's like... Exactly. It's like, you can do it if you want to.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and it's not a lot of want. It's like a really easy thing to accept. Yeah. Like, in, in, in practice. But it's somehow... It's, it's like this stuff where, you know, the world all of a sudden doesn't unite mm-hmm. over bad stuff happening until it's the capital. Mm-hmm. It's like, really, that's the place where you don't like the president anymore. You know yeah. what I mean? It's the same thing. It's like, OK, 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 OK. Um, and again, that, that's it's going to take like some really, really, really well-respected person. Um, and that sucks that it's going to take that. Why can't it just be that that is a human that human has now told you, this is how I prefer to be referred to because this is who I am. Great. I mean, that's no different than if you, you know, say a teacher says, do you prefer to be called Chris or Christopher? It shouldn't uh-huh. be any harder than that. That's genuine human respect. That's right. all that is. Like, and people I- are going to get it wrong. People are going to get it wrong. But if you go, that's actually not how I'm referred. Great. I apologize. God, yeah. how hard was that? <laughs>
1: like, for, for example, I've known Brian since I was 11 or 12. So the majority of both of our lives, he knew me a certain way. And then it wasn't that way anymore. And pretty much it was, oh, OK, Marissa, like that. That's all it was. And that's how yep. it should be.
0: <laughs> yep. Absolutely. And, and I, I think this play just does such a good job of celebrating the reality of all of that. Without, there's nothing in here, unless they're in jokes, you know, like fun little, there's nothing in here that I think, um, cause like, I remember when the birdcage came out, you brought up the birdcage at the beginning. And I remember seeing that at a very young age because my, my parents, well, definitely still carrying some of those stereotypes. I mean, my, my father's favorite comedy special ever to show anyone was Eddie Murphy's raw. But even Mm. my dad would go, but even my father would go, and these things are not okay to say anymore, right? Right? Even he knew to like, even though he would say them in general conversation, sometimes he knew enough that, no, this is not something I should be teaching. My kids is okay. And I, and I always appreciated that. Um, You know, he was, he was, you know, outdated, but not um, he, he, he knew enough of what was going on to know you don't treat people this way, even if he. Still laughed at the jokes and everything, but um, the birdcage I remember coming out and it being like a oh, this is the most obscene film ever to come out. It's like oh man, even at eleven years old, I could find you something way more obscene than that if you want, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. But but whatever, I think that's around what age I was. But I remember watching it and being like, it definitely was different yes. than almost every other way that I saw gay people portrayed in film. It was much more realistic and much more open and would, you know, guys are going to kiss in this movie and you're going to see it. And we're not going to make it a joke. Like, and I'm like, all right, cool. Like this is making this not seem wrong to me. And I grew up in a religious you know, world. So, but I remember that being, Oh, you let your child see that film, that propaganda from liberal Hollywood to make everybody queer. And I'm like, it's a, it's a movie. I mean, Nathan Lane is in this, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what? you, you mean to tell me that like, you don't know that Nathan Lane is an openly gay person. There's no agenda here. Like, <laughs> I, I just, Oh my God. And, uh, it just, it always cracked me up living through that. You know, how, um, how still to this day, you know, I, I remember, uh, how, how giggly everybody was over Brokeback Mountain. And I'm like, come on guys. Yeah, like, really? Like you're gonna be giggly about it? So, so a couple of guys have sex on screen. Oh yeah. no!
1: <laughs> yeah, and you know we were talking about our love for Gilmore Girls, and I don't know what the fuck it is, but like all of a sudden in season five they're like, "Hey, you know what's really funny? Trans people. Hey, you know what's really funny? Gay people." And it's like, yeah. where
0: did all this come from? <laughs> like, was that was that when the Paladinos weren't involved anymore? I don't remember I don't... what season that ended up in.
1: I thought that wasn't until season seven where they were gone, but there's this weird yeah. kind of shift. Like after Rory gets out of high school, where all of a sudden, like they're like, "Hey, punchline, sex
0: change." Like, what the fuck? What happened here? It's almost like the rest of Hollywood weaved its way in, and went, this is what people laugh at.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I I don't get it, but you know it 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 sucks because then to w- continue watching the show, you have to go. Okay, when's another one I think is going to come up? Oh, ha, ha, ha.
0: Like, it's, and it's, it's such a bummer because 70% of that show was always so much better than that. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. I, I always, even my wife, even even in the newer one, even in the newer uh, show, which, which I, I liked, the Netflix revival, there were some things where I'm like, God, what was that, 2017? 2015 i think 25th god it was that long ago and, and and you look at it and go we're still making fat shame jokes right like like i can i can i can see that happening in 2000 i mean but we're still doing this like mm. this this shouldn't be here and it's like you know if, if the argument is well we wanted to make it feel like the original show well edward herman is dead like you're not <laughs> pretending that didn't happen. So why can't you just have the characters grow the fuck up? <laughs> you yes, know? As I know, they should, uh, but that's just the world. I mean, the, the paladinos, I mean, they're theater folk. You'd think they'd be, but I don't know. You still get, you still get people that are stuck in the old Hollywood way of this all has to be a caricature and we need to dance around for the cis people. Mm-hmm. And then they'll laugh. And, and, yeah. and, you know, I, I, can wholeheartedly admit that I've laughed at that stuff because we were all told that that was funny.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it is still funny. Like we can laugh at ourselves too, but if the punchline is, Oh my God, that's person, that person's trans. I have to burn my clothes. Like, no, that's not funny. And was never funny. But for some reason, the nineties were like, uh, Jerry Springer's real. And this is hilarious. So uh, you know, it, it's always about what the punchline is and about who's saying it, which is why I deliberately have the trans characters making two very important jokes. You referenced one of them where at the end of the first act, one of the non-binary characters makes a nice name. Did your mother pick it out for you? Like, you know. And then the one at the end, which is one of my favorite jokes of all time, where it's like you uh, a non-bi- non-binary triad walks into a bar and it's like, yeah, and... There are plenty of people who fill that stereotype, but it's still not, and that's bad, or, and this person is terrible, and the fact that it's a trans person saying it isn't the joke. And that was kind of the point I wanted to make, because the points where Matt tries to make jokes about trans people or gay people, everybody's just like, can you just stop being an asshole? Even Amy you know, is even willing to call out the terrible jokes that Matt makes, but uh, the person who is willing to call out improprieties and rudeness in public, but also votes for things that dehumanize those very people is more devious and is more dangerous. You know, the wolf's in sheep's clothing kind of thing. But yep. both of them are called out and that's part of what it is.
0: And, and, I, and I love that about it, that that, that, that happens. That's, that's very important because um, that's the real world. You can't, you can't be half, and then in the background not do it. You know what I mean? Like it, mm. it's, it's like you got, you gotta have your cake and eat it too. If you're gonna be an ally, you gotta go all in. Yeah, uh, and because bigotry everything and else polite complicit. language is
1: still bigotry.
0: Yeah, it's, it's just complicitness, and this is the thing that I have a hard time teaching people around. You know, I've, I've got family members, you know, that, that, you know, weren't necessarily Trumpers, but are staunch Republicans, and again there's staunch, you know, in one way. I'll I'll take a Republican that can wholeheartedly admit no, I am outwardly against this thing and mm-hmm. I do not want that in there. But because there's a butt on the other if we only have two parties, there's always a butt in one direction. But at the same time, if they you know aren't if they in their state have someone like Mitch McConnell which is way different than having, you know, one of those 10 other Republicans that voted against Trump, you know, in this most recent impeachment, Um, you know, they're willing to stand up and say, this has nothing to do with my party anymore, but there's some people that don't. And if you're, not going to say you know what i am you know i am a staunch republican because of conservative this this and that but i do not want the religious right having power and i do not want to pass this abortion bill then get out there and vote for the democrat to get that person that's going to vote for that out of there today please like vote past your party when it goes against the the one thing that you don't like and there's some people that just can't do that and it's like that that's being complicit. And I know complicit is a big hot button word right now, but it's the truth. You can no longer stand back and say, you support me if you didn't try to stop this.
1: Right. It it was kind of like how all those people were pretending to be horrified and surprised when he incited a riot in the Capitol and Latino people and black people and queer people are going, Yeah, you didn't seem to be surprised that much when they were putting people in cages and trying to define us out of existence. Like... That was one of the big things for me was, you know, in November 2018, when an article came out in the Times that said Trump literally wants to legally define trans people out of existence. It's like, where the fuck were you back then? All you personal responsibility people, all you people clutching your pearls now that some symbol has been invaded. Where were you when they were literally trying to make us not exist? Where were you when that when seven year olds were dying in cages? And it's it's really hard to hear people who are upset now but have been complicit with everything up until the actual invasion of the capital and it's like maybe it shouldn't have taken that to happen for you to go yeah, maybe I shouldn't be allied with the people who wear camp auschwitz t-shirts i don't know
0: <laughs> jesus right like how is it okay to show up in public like that i i you know i get freedom of speech a lot of people carry this freedom of speech thing but camp auschwitz literal swastikas like it should not be le- That should not be covered by freedom of speech That yeah. should be the end of it
1: You like, know where that's not re- freedom of speech
0: Germany <laughs> and, and, and you know it, it's also like you know, the, the, thing, the thing with statues and stuff That people get into it's the same thing You get all angry about this It's like it's not destroying history To remove a symbol of hate mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean I, I, you know, I would love for that symbol of hate to be in a museum somewhere to teach people not to be hateful again. But you know what the fun thing about a museum is? Someone has to choose to go in there and look at it. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's the difference. There's a reason why Germany doesn't have swastikas on all their statues anymore. Yeah. You know, It's <laughs> like, hey, maybe this is a bad thing. <laughs> oh, my God. But we, we can't get past that. And, and you'd think the Nazi thing would be the easiest thing to unite our nation over, right? Yeah. That should be the easiest one. We literally fought a war and won. Same thing with the Civil War. We literally fought a war and won, and you let people walk into the Capitol with the symbol of the losing side from that war.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that that's a whole other discussion that I could get into, because yeah, I, no, I studied and- 19th century history pretty
0: extensively, oh, but... <laughs> no it just it all these things parallel and it all comes back to uh, a little common human decency and and i'll and i'll say a little common human decency is a two-way street mm-hmm. but the change needs to start from one specific street yeah. you 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 point out wonderfully in this play that you know the 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 commune off the grid also has some growing and some openness to do too but it doesn't start with them Mm-hmm. I, I like, it's very important. It always has, they still have the agency to look at these outsiders and say, no, you're in our house. Yeah. And then they're able to say, yeah, but doesn't your bylaw say, oh yeah, I know you're right. There's give and take, but the side that's always asked to step down and change is the side that has the upper hand in this play. And I think that's wonderful.
1: Yeah. Cause w- we have to do that every single day. We have to go into the world where most people are you know, not like us, and we have to blend in and do the best we can. And if we're you know, sitting in a room with our family and someone starts saying awful things, like we're expected to be quiet about that. And I was unwilling to have that except in reverse, because, yeah, it was like, why do you think they needed a commune? Why do you think they needed to get away from people? Do you think it's because people like you treated them horrifically every day? Like maybe that had something to do with it. So, I was unwilling to let people be comfortable in that situation.
0: Right. And it's, it's perfect for that. Cause, and again, I'll say as someone who I believe in myself and I can only ever do better every day, but I believe in myself to be, you know, a full um, ally to all people really, but you know, not Nazis, but you (laughs) know, um, in, in this regard, There was even things in this where I was made incredibly uncomfortable and not by the trans people you know, not by like, but the situations, these are not comfortable, easy to navigate situations. When someone calls you on your shit or calls you on something you did, this is written in a way where it's a two way street of, I feel bad in both directions. This is uncomfortable. When Matt says slurs and attacks, I was bullied like Mm -hmm. this actor is able to convey that without really actually saying I I love things that can get through it without saying really bad slurs too. I always, I always made this, um, you know, connection about how, um, the new Watchmen show they did, which was all about, um, the, you know, um, basically all about everything that led up to the riots that happened this year basically is what that whole show was about. And they get through it without saying the N word once. Uh Uh-huh. The literal whole thing is about the KKK and hanging people and all. And they don't say it once. Yeah. And Quentin Tarantino needs to say it every 10 minutes in every single one of his movies. And it's just now I get it. There's there's often a reason, but I don't think that reason means it needs to be done all the time. And you were able, you know, to do this play without, you know, people running around and, you know, saying, more awful things than just saying no i don't think trans people have rights that should be the most awful thing that ever has to come out of someone's mouth to understand that they're bad they don't mm-hmm. have to run around calling people dyke and all this you know it just doesn't have to happen yeah you know? I, I,
1: there was one translator in the whole play and even that was kind of a pun like that was kind of the point was and i don't how even we, remember it right no. it's where uh matt who is an auto shop worker goes, oh, I didn't even have to go into the shop today to see the T word. And like, because yes, that's also re- what they call a transmission. And it's like, e- even e- even Don is going,
0: shut up. like <laughs> Yeah, even Don's like, you're fucking awful. Like, stop.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then I use the, the F slur just in yep. a place where it's someone who was called that kind of owning it. And that was also a point where if it's someone who grew up being called that as a weapon turns around and self identifies that way to take the power away, they're allowed to do that. Like, yep.
0: I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't, don't love that word, but I also love the fact that it was used in such a, cause, cause again, there's ways words like it, it, it's like you say, Oh, I don't want to have my, my kid hear Bad language. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, of course, there's a lot of people that are that way, whatever. But I remember as a kid watching, rewatching all these movies I watched as a kid where people are dropping the F bomb and everything back and forth. I don't remember those swears being in that movie. You know why I don't remember them? Because they're throwaway. They're literally not there to do anything other than be punctuation to what the person's saying. What you do remember is if you ever hear somebody say, I want to F you. Mm -hmm. because then there's 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 malice to it there's that that that's you you remember that because you go that was aggressive that word is now used to mean something that could be hurtful that could be put somebody in an uncomfortable position and you remember that and it's the same thing like you're saying here these were given agency and power for that person reclaiming so i didn't even hear them yeah. Like the, and and this is someone who grew up going to high school in late 90s early 2000s where every word out of everybody's mouth were these words. Yep. You know? I was there too. <laughs> oh god, it was terrible. And now and I cringe when I think about it.
1: Yeah. I I mean even I do. Like nobody's born perfect in that regard and we're all raised in this society like I'm sure if Facebook existed when I was 15, I would look back and be like, oh, my God, what was, you know. But that's part of the point is we all grow. We all learn. But you also can't get to that point unless you do the work. And that's the biggest thing that Matt and Don are called up on. It's like, yeah, that was a long time ago, but you clearly haven't learned anything either. So.
0: And you're given plenty of chances to that's. Mm -hmm like Dawn is literally in a field where she could look at it and go, you know what? I am going to try to make things better for the, for, for this group of people. And she doesn't do it. Yeah. She outwardly chooses the path of least resistance.
1: What, Yeah, what's expedient.
0: Yeah. And that is the problem with all public officials is that <laughs> they, they, they care about getting, keeping their job more than they care about bettering the people who are voting for them. To, uh, but yeah. There's, there's the endless cycle. Mm-hmm. And and that's how you dupe an entire Party into voting for someone who's not a politician Yeah, unfortunately By making it seem like they're finally going to care About you
1: yeah and It's hard to break that It really is
0: My uh my brother pointed out On our our most recent podcast How a lot of these systems That are both The good and bad part of Why society at least doesn't fall Apart completely um all of this stuff is showing how broken they actually are when it's like, yeah, someone's going to attack the Capitol. Oh, yeah, we really weren't prepared for that. You weren't <laughs> what? Well, I mean, we're prepared for the gentlemanly way of doing it. We're like, you know, like it, it's like it, you think back to like how the Revolutionary War was run, one, because people said, we're not just going to all stand in a line in front of each other and fire and then the people still have people alive win, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and it's the same thing. We have these gentlemen. And I say that with the most vitriol I possibly can <laughs> gentlemanly agreements of how things are going to be done. And people found out all I have to do is not shake the guy's hand first. And then I get away with it. Yeah. just <laughs> like, Oh Jesus.
1: Yeah. There's so much in the last four years that like, I can't believe that's not a law. Well, it fucking should be.
0: <laughs> well, so, uh, um, be- because, uh, we both have days to get along with, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure, um, I again, thank you so much for sharing this with me. Please tell people where they're going to be able to find this, Marissa.
1: Okay. I will be releasing it on my two my two more popular podcast threads. Uh, so the Sister Getting Out of Hand or the Inciting Incident podcast. It's going to air on both. It'll be out, uh, what, what's the exact day? Uh, a
0: it's week okay if you don't know the, yeah.
1: The last Thursday in January, the 28th um, is when it'll perfect. be. So it'll be out. It'll be out then is that it stars uh, Giovanni Espiritu, who was just in a movie called Middleton Christmas. She's in Dyke Central. She's been in Gilmore Girls and uh, a bunch of my podcast friends and one of my partners. uh, We put put this together. It took probably four or five months to write. And then it took another month of recording. And then it took excruciating long editing days this was a task and a half you but
0: you can tell and and to your to your um what's the word i'm looking for uh, it it sounds like you're all just having a, a zoom call together and i don't mean it sounds bad i mean you're all playing off each other like you recorded it together and that's i think the biggest um the biggest uh, applause I can give outside of the fact that it's really funny and I really enjoy it and it's really well written and it's heartbreaking and it's great is that you did such a good job editing that you can't tell.
1: Thank you. And credit goes to the actors too because, you know, I gave them direction and I wrote it, but at the same time they had to take those characters and turn them in exactly how I wanted to. And they did that on the first try. I did not have to have anybody re-record anything. And that... No shit. Yeah, like that really had to be be up to them, and not all of them. Like, Amy isn't an actor; she's just a person, uh, someone who does podcasts. And you know, like I said, she was so afraid that she was wooden and boring. And I'm like, yeah, you're supposed to be like that's exactly who I wanted you to be. You you played it as I wanted, and then to take uh, the individual tracks of Amy of Don, of Tony, and then take the track of me and uh, Giovanni and then take the one of me, Eli, Ari, and Murphy and then somehow put it into something not only cohesive but with like appropriate sound effects or uh, the fact that Amy records a million times quieter than Tony does. Like You have to yep. balance that so you don't blow out somebody's ears. Like That took a lot, but I'm really proud of it and I'm really grateful you took the time.
0: Of course, and I wanted to give another shout out because you you did this shout out at the end um, to the the music that you used. It was a band called The Weather. Is that the Midnight? The Midnight. Sorry, um, that that let their fans use their music royalty free, and uh, I just figured you know it really was very well fitting. I had almost thought you might have had it recorded for for the play, and it was really really wonderful.
1: Yeah, The Midnight's a, a synthwave retro band. And they are all about new media. Like the the big thing was uh, Twitch, uh, where they were like, "Hey, all you people out there using our songs for Twitch, you keep on doing that." And I, I respect the hell out of that. And if you look them up on YouTube, all of their music videos are just of their songs to 80s movies. Like they're, they're just awesome. really awesome. And I I I didn't intend to pick that song because of that reason. Like I just thought it sounded cool. And then like I put in those verses in between and I'm like, holy shit, this works. I need to use this now.
0: <laughs> yeah, it worked really well. It, it it was really good transition style music. It, it definitely set the tone between scenes. It was, it was really well done. Thank you. I, I really
1: appreciate everything.
0: No, of course. And, and with that, I wanted to give you a chance to shout out anything else you wanted, anywhere else you wanted to point people and to just thank you again for sharing this with me I feel like I was following this almost this whole process I I, I haven't known you for the whole five months that you've been <laughs> working on it but you know just like I got this actor I never thought I'd land and I was like oh I can't wait to find out who that is and so when you were like I need people to you know get help me get this out here does anyone want to hear it and I'm like I this is where I get to find out I need to know what this thing is <laughs> it was so cool
1: yeah, uh, definitely got to shout out Giovanni Espiritu, who is one of my favorite people in the world. And I mentioned the name of my two two of my podcasts. I also host uh, Okay Then, a Fargo retrospective with Amy, who has part in the show. And but I heard about it, which you have been on uh, with my partner Murphy, who's in the play, and with Brian and Natalie Brian, who has been on this show. So, uh, and if you put my name, Marissa McCall, into your podcatcher, you're gonna find all of my work and plenty of places I've been on, including this one. And I really appreciate everything.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you again, Marissa. And thank you for having me on your other show. I can't wait to be back on cause, and I can't wait to be on any of your shows to tell you the truth, but I, I love being in that chat thread. And, yes. <laughs> I, and I'm like, I almost, I, I, like, there's been a few times where it's like, if I only had the afternoon open, I was almost like, can I come on too? This <laughs> yeah. is like, you're, the conversation is just so much fun. You, you've got a great group of people together for that show.
1: Um, and I'm, and And I'm,
0: and I'm really, really glad that Brian connected us together because this is, this is wonderful. And I, I feel like, you know, this, this play is only going to help me better help and communicate with this, you know, since meeting you, I've had three friends that I've found out are transitioning, you know, and it's, and I, you know, it's not found out early. I was looking, you know, I'm a gumshoe looking for <laughs> him so I can, so I can point him out to the religious right. No, it's that, that felt comfortable telling me that, you know, and it, it's, um, it's just a wonderful thing. And I, you know, you can see the weight lift off someone's shoulders when it's like, I finally told someone and they didn't react, you know, it's the Heidi thing. They didn't react the way I was afraid everybody would. Mm-hmm. And, I just want uh, I hope that in my lifetime, in our lifetime, we live in a world where there you can count the people on one hand that are going to react poorly to that rather than that being what we think 90 percent of people's reactions are going to be, you know, and when it's
1: safe. And when I get out to the back to the East Coast, uh, I owe you a few hugs. So
0: (laughs) hugs and drinks for all. Indeed. All right. Well, thank you again for shooting the shit with Chippa. Everyone, you can find dinner with the binaries which, um, is awesome. Um, it'll be out on the 28th, like Marissa just said. Um, and, uh, please listen to all of her other stuff, read her books, find her YouTube videos of her, um, live speeches. Um, this person is the hardest working person I've met in podcasts yet. And I make four different shows and do a bunch of stuff. So, um, it's just really amazing to see so much positive, um, positive, progressive and attempted, you know, earth-changing content out there. I really appreciate
1: it. I appreciate you too. Thank you.
0: All right. We'll talk to you all soon. Bye.